Happy Friday, everyone. Today is June 23rd, and this is episode 29 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This. With us is John Downey, the man who recently balanced a CMTS in one hand while using a zip line to go between two villages in Chile. John is also <laughs> CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, glad to have you back with us. Oh, it's always great to be back. <laughs> that zip line deal. I don't think I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, your, your weightlifting uh, may have helped prepare you for that. So I, I see you've got a bunch of new statues behind you. Uh, so. yeah, yeah, I got like uh, four of them back here. I just recently won a bunch of shows uh, uh, in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Good, good. Huh? So that's good to keep you uh, young, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in mind, I guess. <laughs> So um, today's show, we're going to cover a lot of different topics, mostly uh, uh, from the recent trade show that I went to. Also, Ron Rannick, your colleague, was there in Cologne, Germany. It's called Angacom. Um, some of the big topics there were RFI, full duplex DOCSIS, which I think was kind of surprising for people to see actual demos of FDX. Uh, virtual CCAP was a big topic there. Um, there was some stuff on IPTV. And, uh, and again, also remote five. Those these are like really, really big topics that were strong uh, at at the show. So we'll be covering those first. I have some uh, interesting things in the news that I want to kind of throw back and forth between us, John. So the first one uh, was involving the FCC. So the headline was broadband's future is in the crosshairs of the FCC's political spectrum, and I. To me, this is a good one. So according to the Washington Post, the, the decade-long debate over net neutrality has been uh, reignited this year by the new chairman, Ajit Pai. Uh, his proposal is to undo the 2015 decision to turn Internet service providers into public utilities. So the way I read this, that's a good thing. Your thoughts? You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, net neutrality and the fact that uh, I guess we could look back in the history of electricity and water and things that we consider not just a right, but things you almost need to have nowadays to survive. Um, and high speed Internet access is probably one of them. Um, if you don't jump on that bandwagon, you're kind of left in, in back in history and you're missing out on a lot. Um, is there is there minimum requirements that everyone should have or access? Um, probably. Um, I'm I don't follow I don't like politics at all. Um, and you know there's always hidden meanings and and agendas behind everything that happens. So you got to wonder uh, sometimes if they propose something just to negotiate some other deal. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I really don't know, and I try not to speculate too much, but <laughs> as we get older, we become very jaded, I think, you know, and, and we just don't believe everything you hear. Yeah, so I, I actually, I think the, I did read the whole article on this, and I thought it was actually kind of nice that they did go back and look at the history of, like, the telephone and how there was regulation around the telephone industry and, and how kind of, like, the iPhone 
made a lot of changes with the way we looked at the telephone because, you know, the telephone was really considered a luxury item. And now we're really looking at the, re- taking a, a new look at the way we consider the telephone because it is, you know, at one time it was a luxury item, we didn't need it, and now it, it is kind of essential to the way w- the, our relationship with a telephone or with the, even the iPhone is so much different than the way it was back in the 1920s or 30s. So, uh, the, and, they're, and what they're saying is, you know, the, our relationship with the internet is very different than the way it used to be. So uh, the article was good, um, and I, I, I'd recommend people just, you know, maybe take a look at it. Politics aside, I'm not a politic political person. I'm an I'm a total technical dork. So from that standpoint, I, I thought it was kind kind of interesting just looking at the history and how they're reapproaching it. Um, I mean, the saying is what if you don't uh, know history, you're destined to repeat it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, you could probably just look back and see how things that are regulated could stifle the industry or keep prices super high. And then no one adopts it, and it doesn't proliferate the, the you know, the masses. Yes. When you start getting something that proliferates the masses, then it gets adopted. It drives the prices down. You know, you could say VHS versus beta. Yeah. <laughs> you know, beta tapes were probably better, but VHS was already in the market, and everyone was buying it. And and it, the, it took one industry action. Yeah. So speaking of, of kind of like disruptive technologies, according to Motherboard, the company called OneWeb is uh, backed by Richard Branson and leaders from Qualcomm and Airbus. They're planning to launch a constellation of as many as 720 satellites into low Earth, low Earth orbit in order to beam Internet everywhere. And their speeds are expecting to rival fiber connections. And the goal was to provide internet to hard to reach rural areas with low rates of internet connectivity. Um, so uh, they're planning on having uh, 10 initial satellites in 2018 and begin providing broadband internet service by 2019. The reason I like this concept is because I grew up in a, in a rural area that still doesn't really have any coverage at all uh, or very poor coverage. So I think this is a is is a great concept. There are they say that the reason they will differentiate themselves from existing satellite coverage is is because the existing way you can get internet over satellites th- those are high Earth orbit satellites. So yeah. the latency is extremely poor for anyone yeah, who's yeah. doing like yeah. a satellite over with these low Earth orbit satellites. They're they're only one thousand two hundred fifty miles up. They're saying you won't be facing those same latency and slow performance issues. Only one thousand two hundred miles. Only one thousand two hundred fifty miles. <laughs> but it, but if you're if you're not geostationary around the equator and you're rotating the same speed as the Earth geostationary, and you're low orbit, then you have to rotate yeah. faster or whatever. You need more, I think, to hand off from one to another, because we're spinning different from the, the I think the satellites. Yeah, so we so- never be stationary with satellite. Yeah, the geo. So you know, you say only one thousand two hundred and fifty miles, but you have to understand the geostationary ones are twenty-seven. I think twenty-two or twenty-seven thousand miles. So yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a huge difference, and these could oh, be, oh, yeah. oh yeah, these could be much better. This could be. They a, just have to. They just have to put more up, probably to hand off to each other, uh, because I could be attached to one satellite, and then three hours later, I might have to go to a different satellite because of how I'm spinning. I think. Yeah. I don't know all the science behind it. But I mean, 720 is how many they're talking about putting up. So well, it's a lot. That's, of just for the, that's just for the U.S. coverage. Yes, or? this is this is U.S. coverage. Wow. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of bugs flying mm-hmm. around up in the up in the air. 
But if, you know, you're a part owner or whatever of rockets and airplanes, <laughs> you know, he's part of, you know, Richard Branson. Uh, you can afford to do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I mean, just all you're doing is taking, say, cell service and just making it higher, right? Yeah. Really long, it's really high cell towers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bigger towers. <laughs> 1,000 miles high. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Comcast is continuing to roll out Doxus 3.1. I don't think that's a surprise, but I think it shows that they are, the Doxus 3.1 is really successful, as we're continuing to say. The markets they're going into now are Boston, Philly, and some additional East Coast localities. So, um, we're just seeing Doxus 3.1 is continuing to work and, and be successful. So, I mean, we know it's in the Atlanta market and, and uh, a number of other markets. It's in my market. And interestingly, they are, they're offering gigabit per second speeds, according to the salesperson at Comcast that I talked to. So they're competing with the AT&T uh, 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 Giga, I forget what it is. No, no, no. So AT&T rolled out um, fiber in a lot of the neighborhoods at a gigabit per second. So if you have a gigabit per second fiber in your neighborhood, Comcast uh, can offer gigabit per second service with their Doxus 3.1. So Mm -hmm. they're they're trying to stay competitive with the fiber offerings using Doxus 3.1, which I think is fantastic. I mean, we we all know that uh, competition is great for our business. Um, for all of us, even residential, you know, just our consumers as well to drive the price down and get it to the market. And you'll see a lot of places where they're marketing gigabit per second uh, just to stymie the competition from coming into an area <laughs> yeah. um, to say, you know, I don't want Google Fiber coming in. I'm a local MSO, so I'm, I'm going to market gigabit per second. Now, it might be much higher priced, but it's there if you need it. Uh, the other one would be like custom MSOs doing fiber to the home in cherry picking fashion. You know, only 10 people in my entire network signed up. So I'll just run a fiber and just do cheap on, yeah. you know, which yeah. is easy enough as well. But yeah, yeah 3.1, 3.1 was our way of getting ubiquitous gigabit speeds across, you know, the entire footprint on existing HFC plant. We keep breathing more life into HFC plants, return on investment. And I brought this up before. We used to say last mile, but now I almost feel like it's last 100 feet or 100 meters. That's where eventually that would be the last piece of coax. But it still behooves us to utilize that coax and not run fiber right to the house, just for cost cost purposes. Absolutely. I, I think the key challenge from just a marketing standpoint is when AT&T or someone comes into a neighborhood with fiber and says, hey, we're going to give you gigabit per second speed, that just – gets into the mind of the person who, you know, is hearing, oh, I want gigabit per second. So the cable operator, if they can offer that same tier of service, gigabit per second, without having to pull fiber, that's a, that's a huge competitive advantage to be able to offer that. And, and so that, that's what we see happening, at least in the Atlanta area. I think yeah. that's very good. And I think that in your area, uh, one of the MSOs was contracting with the, maybe a subcontractor, and uh, they they uh for underground cable you probably heard of this they were blowing out the dielectric yep and then using the underground cable really as a conduit at that point and then blowing fiber through that yep yeah that's pretty cool we we see that i've seen that happen for at least some business areas uh where they they've blown out the fiber blown out the center core of the coax and they just blow that all out and then blow fiber through it 
Yeah, uh, that's a pretty cool idea, right? I mean, yeah, it's no a lot new cheaper. trenching or nothing. It's yeah, no new cheaper. trenching, right of ways and all that. Yeah. So the um, last news item I have is uh, Charter looking to buy Cox Communications. And so don't know how real this is, but according to the consumerists, it has been rumored that Charter said no thank you to Verizon's offer at $100 billion to, to buy them. It's a mere $100 billion. Yeah. Uh, but they say, his sources say that Charter CEO Tom Rutledge is very interested in the Atlanta-based company, uh, but no formal approach has yet been made. So we're waiting to see. Have you heard anything? No. Um, nothing. <laughs> nothing. In, on the wire, no gossip. Yeah. Um, if it goes through, this would make Charter not the biggest operator in the U.S. Would it throw the them past Comcast? Yeah, I think this would take and them. What, they're 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 just a like, I think several million smaller than Comcast right now. Yeah. So yeah. this would rocket them by Comcast. Yeah, because Charter has Time Warner and Bright House. Yep. Um, and the original Charter, and they rebranded their service as Spectrum. Yep. Right. So that would be an interesting consolidation in the industry. So we'll see what happens. Keep your ears open. Do you, do you think this consolidation of MSOs and mom and pa cable companies is a detriment to the STTE? Or at least like the chapters and, and participation? I've, well, I mean, I, I, I've been stuff? continuing, at least from the STTE shows that I've been going to, like, I mean, even starting with Expo, it seems like attendance is different than what it used to be. Definitely the local chapters, it seems it's not, you know, the, some that I've gone to, attendance isn't as much as it is. You, you definitely get it from all the smaller shows. I think it's harder to get attendance from the very, very large MSOs because they have their own training programs. Good point. And they're really True. good training programs. So they, you don't have the same need to send um, technicians to the smaller shows sometimes. At least that's my assumption as to maybe why they're not going. So I think it'll have an impact, yeah. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, if you have a show in a city that's predominantly Comcast, then you don't have, like when we used to do uh, local meetings and stuff, you'd have people from Charter, Comcast, Suddenlink, Mediacom, uh, all these different MSOs sending five, 10 techs each. So you'd have a nice, diverse group in your audience. And then you can like bounce ideas and stuff like that. Now, if you go into a city and it's predominantly say Comcast and they're like, well, we're only going to send five technicians and those are like train the trainers. Yeah. So you're only getting five people to attend. Now they're great guys, <laughs> but I'm finding it harder to justify, you know, going all the way out there to not even have a room full of people. So I know me and Ron have done a lot, and you've probably done it, is a WebEx. Yeah. Some of it, WebEx, man, you can get a lot more. You can record it. Uh, I like to do whiteboarding, though, so I like to be on site. But uh, the WebEx, if it's a, a canned presentation, it works pretty well as, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing the same thing. I've been doing a lot more WebExes than actually physically traveling, unless the travel is close. But the mm -hmm. WebEx is a lot simpler and especially when you know that there's probably only going to be 10 people or less in the room it's yeah. difficult to justify traveling for a, 
you know, when they're already telling, when they're already telling you, yeah, we typically get 10 or 12 people to, to our, <laughs> our, our, our chapters. So, and it also saved me from eating the pizza they always bring in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for you, for you, when you're, you're training for your next uh, competition, that's more of a problem than for me when I like pizza. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, let's move on to uh, Angacom and what we saw. So for those who are not familiar with Angacom, this is a European cable show. It is really, really simple, si similar to uh, Cable Tech Expo, except it's in Cologne, Germany, which is absolutely beautiful city uh, in Germany. And we get the, the attendance there, you know, again, very similar to Expo, except it's all European and Asian operators that come. And a tremendous number of U.S.-based vendors that also come to the show, so it feels very much like Cable Tech Expo, except this in Germany. Uh, I do want to thank all the folks at Anga this year for for putting on a tremendous show for for me attending. This is probably one of the best Anga shows that I've I've gone to, uh, just from the technology that was there this year, the uh, shows or, or the uh, seminars that we went to. I, I was also uh, presenting and moderating two of the seminars. So that was also fantastic. So great show and look New forward venue. to going to Anga next year. New venue from last year, right? Yeah, actually that's, that's a good point. So for the last, I don't know, five or six years that I've been going, we've been in a trade show or a show floor that there was like an upper level and a lower level. And so you're going up and down to your uh, flights of stairs to go in a different yeah. show this year. It was same convention center but we were in a different hall at the convention center so we were all in the same floor uh two di two different convention rooms uh but there was like a food court an outdoor food court between them the weather was beautiful oh, this year nice. for the show but you would in order to go between the two halls you go between this food court get some food socialize outside and then see the uh, different vendors in the in the different areas that was actually nice. really nice. So it made it a little more sociable uh, meeting people. You'd walk outside, talk to people between the show, blah, blah, blah. So uh, what I want to do is cover some of the stuff that I saw that a couple different, few different companies, cool technologies I like. I have no business relationship with any of these companies. So I'm not making any money or anything uh, talking <laughs> about uh, some of this stuff. It was just things that I, I liked. Um, now, wait, wait, wait. How many years have you been going to Anga? Quite a few, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think Five, I think this was maybe my fifth or sixth or seventh year going. I, I can't remember think, now. Do you think it got better this year because NCTA, INTX show got canned? It's difficult to tell, but I I know it, it, every it year attendance is going up. Every year I think I'm seeing more U.S. vendors going to the Angus show. I mean, definitely the European vendors are, you know, are definitely. I think, I think U.S. vendors, you know, they budget for a certain amount of shows, if they budget for the cable show and it doesn't happen, they're like, no, that frees up some more money for them to go. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I, I, and I've, I've talked to, since I went this year, I've already talked to a couple of vendors who didn't go to Anga, but they're like, well, we heard it was a really good show. We're going <laughs> to, but so they're planning on going next year. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think there's going to be two big shows that happen every year. One's going to be Expo. One's going to be Angacom. So yeah. I think, and, and it, which is nice because it makes it a lot easier for the European attendees to not necessarily have to fly to the U.S. And, yeah. uh, you know, but they want to still see all the technology and, and you yeah. can you can just be in Europe and see all the technology that we also show at, at the expo. Yeah. It also gives 
vendors the uh, the opportunity once again to have two times a year to reveal the new tech that's coming out. So yeah. you know we used to have that. Yeah, but we got about five months apart, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good time. So one of the companies that I the, the first company that I saw was a company called GIAX. So and it's a German based company. I think it's GX or GIAX. Um, what I thought was really cool about their technology is they sort of sell it as a technology to augment Doxus 3.1. They do 10 gigabits per second in the downstream and 10 gigabits per second in the upstream. But they do this all by overlaying, by doing this in the upper band. So it, they basically start at one gigahertz and they overlay a really high frequency qualm channel and it's basically like a really wide bandwidth sc qualm at that high frequency to do 10 gigabit down and then above that they do another really high bandwidth qualm channel at the even higher frequency so they start at like one giga gigahertz and go up all the way to one or to three gigahertz to do this 10 gig down and 10 gig up so, I mean, I, I, th I think their focus is, is probably for like businesses or any place where you're just running out of, of HFC. And it's so they're a vi viable alternative to, you know, costly, lengthy fiber deployments. So especially in Europe where you have it's all buried infrastructure over there. There's no there's almost no aerial deployments anywhere. And, and, and so it could also be a viable alternative to. Uh, places in urban in, in the U.S. maybe where everything's buried, urban everything's underground in cities, and maybe you you do need to get 10 gig to say a business. So this is a, a great solution where you could do that, and you can't pull fiber, you can't pull it, you can't pull it because it's just too costly to do that. But you need to do it now. So from my my point of view, this is a really nice architecture or an overlay architecture to get 10 gigs down and 10 gigs up where it's just simply not plausible to do it any other way. So these guys are a startup. It's called uh, GI, it's GIAX, Gigabit Over Coax, GIAX. They're a German startup. I'd recommend if, if, you're, if you're a cable operator and you're, you're in a pickle and you're trying to figure out how can I get 10 gig down and 10 gig up right away, take a look at these guys. Um, pretty cool company in Germany. And yeah, as an RF guy myself, how wide is the channel? Do you know? Do they say? Uh, is, it, is it variable or uh, it's one size and they can change the modulation? They, um, they did, they did tell me, and I don't have it memorized yeah, at this that's point. Fine. But you know, I always think as RF, we're always worried about the how temperamental coax is at higher frequencies. So one, you're running into more attenuation. If the channel is wide, you have more tilt in the channel. Um, if you lose that channel or any part of the channel, do you lose the whole thing? You know, you know how RF is. Right. So it's like all those technical things I'd be interested to know more about. And then it's always going to come down to cost. You know, is it requiring more another CPE, another head end unit to do the overlay? Uh, so yeah, devil's in the details, yeah. um, but people can look it up and, you know, see what the, the fine, the fine line, fine print is. Yeah. They, I mean, they have some information here on uh, that. They sent me where they, they say it's, you know, adaptive coding and modulation, no interrupted modulation change. So they can go from QPSK to one K qualm. They are using LDPC, mm -hmm. uh, for their, their 
uh, error okay. correction. So, hmm. you know, we've seen what LDPC does yeah. in Docsis 3.1. So, so uh, yeah, what they're doing is nothing new, but maybe the technology is finally caught up to make it economical. Yeah. So they're yeah. taking the best of Docsis 3.1 and 3.0 and, and uh, chipsets and, uh, and going from there. Yeah. Yes. So I would like, again, you know, if you guys, if, if someone's interested in this, check out the company. G-I-A-X uh, in, in Germany. Um, so, so the next thing, so RFI, I'll be talking about RFI, remote FI. Um, I spent a, a good bit of time at uh, a company called Telest, in, uh, also a German company, uh, www.telest.com, uh, looking at their RFI products. Uh, very, very cool RFI products, but even, even more um, uh, that interested me was their RF amplifiers. So, you know, you and I both started at C-Core. That's how we met, how we've been <laughs> sort of had a lifelong relationship now. And, and so we understand things like uh, pads and equalizers and balancing amplifiers. And a big thing that everyone was sort of talking and promoting at, at the show, according to, uh, including to last, was the auto-balancing capabilities of their amplifiers and uh, you know, remote files and, and nodes and stuff in general. And this really appealed to me because I appreciate how much time a cable operator can spend with their employees going out and balancing their entire cable plant. And then something happens and maybe a technician who's not very experienced will go out, open up an amplifier, and change a pad or change an equalizer that now just completely boogers up the rest of the system. So one of the cool things about to last and, and some of the other equipment providers that were they were promoting is the the self-balancing capabilities in their amplifiers. It looks at the signals, looks at some tones, bounces in a forward. So you don't need attenuators anymore. You don't need equalizers. You can see all of this with an iPad or an Android tablet. You can see this balancing going on. You can look at the levels or you can just set and forget and it balances for you. You don't even need to open up the amplifier housing anymore to do this balancing and you have the capability of locking out technicians and saying you know you can look at what the settings are but you can't adjust the settings you can't you can't make adjustments because you haven't reached a skill level to do that uh, after some training we'll let you make these adjustments so this whole concept of the auto adjust i think is really cool and and something that um will we'll catch on they also had the ability uh in their products to ship their amplifiers with a uh, dual diplex filter. So they can, they can have, a say, a 6580 split diplex filter in there and then future-proof them with a 204 megahertz diplex filter in there. So just a, a lot of future thinking going is it, on. So is it programmable or a, a hard, hard swap? It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if it was programmable. or I, They just had two diplex filters, so I don't know if the, the switch on that 204 was variable or if it was just a, a switch over to the 204, I'd have I to look so. back on that. Um, because, just... you know, at Cisco at uh, SC Expo in Philly last year, we uh, showed the IntelliNode and it was the same deal. Uh, no pads, no EQs. Um, the, the Diplex filters are now pluggable devices. So you can order a 4254 split or an 85102 split. Um, so it's a just it's not auto generated, but it's uh, you could pull it out and put a new one in. 
So it's no more surface mounts like it used to be when we were at Secor Electronics and stuff where you know, someone would diddle with the, the coils and the capacitors and screw up the, the response of the amplifier by messing up the diplex voters. But these diplex voters, everything's surface mount, but it's a pluggable device. So you can take it out, put a new one in and have a different split right away. And then the hardware in the middle is already set up for that change later. Because, you know, when we were at Secor, on the, low, on the upstream, we always had a low-pass filter as well. Because you don't want your downstream signals bleeding across a diplex filter and then coming out of your reverse amplifier and then higher, like, uh, third-order harmonics, second-order harmonics, and beats generated there coming out. So you always had a, another filter somewhere in that path. Like, you might have a high-pass filter on the high side and a low-pass filter on the low side, and then you have your diplex filters. Yep. So you got to make sure that those are good for future proofing. Yeah, absolutely. And the the one thing that so so I, I got the sense that your and PN operators are are fairly uh, they have experience with with all these active parts that that are part of the auto balancing and auto tuning auto alignment in the amplifiers. I am curious what U.S. operators how they how U.S. operators will feel about this adoption because I see this as a technology that is going to be would be hugely beneficial and i do know, you know i do know there are some u.s operators that are, are looking at the the technology um but it does seem that there's a trade-off with reliability I, I think it won't be technology that wins it'll be the bean counters <laughs> yeah do you that's know huge how savings. much the accessories are uh, remember at secord the pads are probably five bucks a piece the eqs were probably five seven bucks a piece yeah in an amplifier you have an interstage eq in a pad yep. potentially and return on the front end you have an input and then they return pad and EQ. You could have, and then maybe directional couplers for, for splitters and stuff like that. You probably have seven or eight accessories in that one device. That's just hardware cost. Then there's all the labor associated with going to every single amplifier, putting the pad in, adjusting, put, I mean, all, the, all that. The tackle box. Yes. The tackle box for every technician has to have. <laughs> and think about it, every variable, like 1 dB increments. Yes. And, and you can't buy them in singles. You got to buy them in like, 10 or 20 packs. So you yeah. always have way more pads and EQs than you could possibly ever use. That, ta that tackle box for every technician <laughs> is probably a couple grand. You know, yeah. it's probably a couple grand of accessories. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of money like tied up in accessories and, and, and walking around with them and all that other stuff. But, and then you think about it, if it's in telenode or uh, adjustable, you could do 0.1 dB increments. Yes. Yeah. You're not you're not you're not at the mercy of the pattern EQ being one dB increments. Yep, absolutely. So, I think it's cool. I, I was just blown away with some of the the capabilities and the amplifiers just because I've designed them before and I know yeah. <laughs> I know how many resistors, capacitors, inductors go into all the different yeah. components. And now they're just they're doing it all automatically. It's cool. Yeah. So okay, yeah. moving back to remote phi. So one of the things you and I have talked about before is, okay, you have the, the, the C-cap or, you know, sort of the brains of the CMTS in the head end, and then you have this digital link out to the remote Phi device. So this brings up some intrinsic problems, like what if I want to send a, phi, a, 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 a pilotone out to that uh, remote Phi, out to the, the node? That's the, you, can't, you can't send analog signals over the digital link. Another problem that particularly happens in Europe is they have like these must-carry requirements for FM radio. They have to send FM radio from the head end to the remote phi. So 
this is a problem for them. How do they do that? It wasn't built in. There's a, a, a really cool guy that I've, I've talked to at every trade show. His name is Bo Cronbach. He has, has, has a company uh, uh, called, uh, they, there's, he does like Cronbach tracers and, and other products. So he has this Cronbach uh, tracers ND1. And, and this fits the perfect solution for modulating or, or taking like FM radio signals at the head end, converting them into a digital signal that goes over the NDF. So that's the, the basically the digital link from the head end to the remote PHY. And then at the remote PHY, those FM signals are converted back from digital into the RF. So the remote PHY can now transmit the FM signals into the HFC plant. And so, so his, his box goes from uh, 70 megahertz to 1,218 megahertz or the NDF channel, so he could also be used for, like, pilots and other things. And so he's, he was doing this demo there. He's integrated uh, basically the, using the NDF and NDR standards, so he can, he can use this just using standard protocol. They're part of, part of the remote phi spec. So I, I thought this was a nice, cool solution. It's a rack mount head-end box that just allows them to plug in FM signals and transport it. And it didn't seem like anyone else was offering the same type of solution to fit a particular problem that was going on. So the remote Fi device is what's going to generate RF. And we look back at what RF we have today. It could be tones for balancing amplifiers. It could be tones for leakage detection, you know, leakage testing. Um, it could be uh, single carrier qualms. It could be single carrier qualms for video, actual MPEG-2 video, uh, DOCSIS, DOCSIS 3.1 OFDM. Uh, so there's a lot of things, RF, that has to be generated from the remote fi device. Uh, I never really thought about, you know, having to generate FM, which, you know, in the U.S., we don't do that. We don't generate FM and put it on our cable plants. Some people might have put it on there, but we don't have we don't have that not liability but requirement. It's a require, like yeah, it's a, it's a it's a requirement yeah. that they must carry FM. In, so in I, I would I would come back because as you're talking, I'm thinking the fix to all that is what we did in the off-air analog broadcasters. We got rid of it. And we went digital <laughs> broadcasting, right? We went digital. <laughs> broadcasting. So what if I said get rid of FM? analog and go um you can't call it fm it's serious radio right yeah satellite radio could we take the satellite could i take a satellite receiver serious radio and it's digital and could i somehow regenerate it on a remote fi device yeah, I mean, that's the ideal solution, right? But, but where they are right now is they have, it's an analog signal. It has to be yeah. carried. So if you want to go yeah. to a remote five solution, you have to digitize it. Yeah. And all the customers' homes are CPE is basically FM radios. Yeah. They can only tune 88 to 108. Yep. So, so <laughs> I, I, what Bo Cronbach did, he's like, ah, there's a problem. He, he's, he's like a crazy FPGA designer. I mean, He's super around these. He's done a lot of other. He's like done bursty modulators for the return path uh, to capture DOCSIS signals. There's a lot of cool stuff around that. Um, so he just he took an FPGA. He converted these signals into uh, the NDR, NDF standard, and 
plugs it in nice. and it works. So very nice. elegant solution to a, to a complex problem. Nice. So, uh, Still along uh, the sort of CCAP and, and remote FI uh, area is uh, there was some virtualization of CCAP. There's a demo going on. I'm not going to mention the vendor's name because these vendors uh, had an interest of also coming on and doing a, a hangout with you and I and talking about this uh, technology. I think it would make a great discussion. So virtual. So you and I have talked about virtual virtual CMTSs before. And they were doing a demo with their virtual CMTS. And, and the beauty of it was it was it was just one server, like a one RU server. That was their CMTS. And that was feeding to a, a remote FI. And, and so we did start talking about some of the cool things that, that you could do with this. So they, uh, they were doing with this server, I think they said they were doing 48 service groups just from a server. And, and going into their, you know, they just had one remote five though, so I don't, I don't remember how many service groups that remote five was capable of doing. But they started talking about some of the challenges that that um, virtual CMTSs can solve. We were talking about like, well, if you want to upgrade the software, the iOS of the remote five, you know, normally when we do this with a CMTS, it can be kind of problematic. Normally, like you want to test it on a a lab CMTS and make sure your you know the modems that you have running don't have problems with the new iOS and are saying you can you can actually upgrade just one service group in a virtual CMTS because you can you can break like one service group off and it's kind of like doing it in a virtual machine you can upgrade that and it it takes very little time to upgrade it in sort of this virtual environment rather than in a hardware environment and if you have problems with that service group you just back it out very quickly. It's basically just like, you know, re-imaging the, the VPN or taking a snapshot, or not the VPN, the virtual machine, taking a snapshot and restoring it back. So, you know, you start thinking about all the different things of having this just running on a, on a software, on a, on a server. And, and so, and I think you and I were talking earlier, it's like, well, it could be on a server, it could be on, in a cloud environment. So, the whole concept of, of a virtual CMTS gets really, really exciting from, from my, my point of view. I'd like to, to get your take you know, on that. It's like, it's like a head end as we know it could become a, uh, uh, a server farm. Yeah. Well, anywhere, you know, a server farm. It's basically a bunch of servers off the rack. It's running virtual CMTS code, um, whether it's in the cloud or whatever terminology we use. Um, I, I told you, I said, I, the biggest advantage I see is capacity management you know you need more capacity you throw another server on you're doing virtual splitting and um you're throwing more capacity at maybe one service group versus another or maybe you just have a bank of capacity that actually gets shared more evenly so no longer are we worried about as much load balancing where modems have to move between downstreams and upstreams and and spectrum management and stuff like that you just fully fill up the spectrum uh, if it's not used, then maybe you reallocate that resource to another service group because that node across the street is feeding the college town. And the college town is like, you know, downloading everything they can. So you could reallocate resources. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential going this route. Um, and it's the next step past where we are today, right? Uh, I think DOCSIS 3.1 gets us more speed, gets us close to the gigabit service. Remote 5 allows 3.1 to go even faster because now we have better MER readings. Um, remote 5 gets us 
simplicity out closer to the customer and a digital link in the back hole for the converged interconnect network, the CIN. And then that drives virtual. So it's all these little things are kind of stair-stepping or dominoes or, you know, complementing each other and evolving us all the way to this cloud CMTS or cloud Doxus or whatever you want to call it, virtual CMTS. Yeah, so so the other thing with, with virtual CMTS, it, doesn't the development cycle for, for doing this, doesn't that get faster? Because if, I mean, if you're waiting for like hardware spins on a, a 24 layer board or something that's in a CMTS, you're waiting like, you know, weeks for that to come around. But if you're doing development in a virtual CMTS, it's software development. So for just from my, my mind, it, it seems like you could, you could fix bugs quicker. You could develop new features into the software. It, it, is that also something that can come out of this? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why when we looked at remote Fi. We decided on remote Phi and not remote Mac Phi. Uh, if you do remote Phi, you're just doing the Phi chip. Once that hardware is solidified and you give it like future proofing, for instance, I know our remote Phi device for the GS7000 is going to have the capability of six OFDM channels on the downstream, even though six 192 megahertz would be more than the spectrum could carry anyway. But hey, the chip will provide six, so put it out there and we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, a bunch of OFDMA upstream, a bunch of single carry qualm, downstream, upstream video capability. So the hardware will be future-proofed. It's just a matter of writing the software to do everything people want to do with it. Um, but you talk about iOS upgrade. Because the node is simplistic, there really will not be an iOS upgrade to a node. You know, it'd be, yeah. a, uh, it'd be feature enrichment in the core, which might be virtual, in the servers. It's features in the server. It's all software-driven. Um, but as far as hardware, it's already done. You might have an FPGA uh, firmware upgrade or something like that. Kind of like when we upgrade some firmware on a modem or maybe there's an errata that was passed from Broadcom or whoever makes the chipset, right? Yep. So, I mean, if it's a hardware problem, that's going to be an issue. But the, lately, everything's FPGA. Uh, everything is like software driven. Uh, and it makes things much simpler to like upload a, a fix. Like you mentioned, um, if you had iOS in the node, I know an iOS upgrade in a CMTS, you might be able to do four CMTSs a night. So if you have 200 CMTSs, by the time you upgrade iOS across your entire footprint, it's like three months later and you have to do an iOS upgrade again. <laughs> it's like job security. You're never stopping your iOS upgrade. And then the way I see it is, most MSOs go through a pretty diligent uh, due diligence of the iOS. They test it themselves before they deploy. So we might have fixes, we have features that don't even get deployed for three or four months because they're testing it themselves. Whereas just like you mentioned in Remote Five, you might say, well, you know, there's a new feature out. I'm not going to do a full iOS across my entire footprint. I'm going to activate this new feature and maybe just push it to this one node and use that node as a trial node. Maybe that node is... Uh, you give the customers cheaper rates or maybe it's all, all your employees or it might be just a node that actually goes into your MSO, right? Your head end. Or, yeah. And, and only employees at your desks are actually using it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of people have either a test node or they have a node with very yeah. few subscribers on it or yeah. one way or another, they have friendlies. a way of testing the software. Yeah. Calm, calm friendlies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, the last night at Expo, uh, I... I, I was, 
not expo. Thank you, <laughs> Anga. Anga. They're seeing so so similar. You know, you get it's like you get together with all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, technically, technically, expo could be used as generic, right? Yes, exposition it is or, just an ex- exposition. Yeah. So yeah. the the last night there, we uh, went out to dinner with um, all of our friends. Uh, it was VX dinner. I want to thank VX for having us out. There was a, a guy sitting at the end of the table that I was on. And I, I just kept seeing this shirt that he was wearing. I'm, I'm going to hold this shirt up for anyone who's watching. Uh, and it, so the shirt says, if if you if you can't see it, it says, make RFI or die training. I love this trying, shirt. Trying. Die, 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 trying. die trying. Die trying. trying. Yeah, die yeah, trying. Thanks, John. Trying. I, I can't read what's on the hey, camera but, there. Hey, if you got that in Germany, does that mean the? Die is done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so this shirt, um, so I talked to the guy, met the guy. Um, he's from Vector Technologies. His his name is Tadeusz, and uh, his last name I he he taught me how to pronounce his first name. His his last name I'm I'm not going to try to pronounce because he'll just make fun of me for it. Awesome awesome guy. And uh, the next day I, I did get to to see a demo. They're making an R5 product, and their R5 product I uh, was also at your booth. Um, so you guys are I guess integrating or working with them or, or something but it is uh really cool and also what was really cool was seeing the the details of their their rfi product and kind of getting to see the guts and going uh into all the all the challenges they've overcome and and the, the hardware work that they're doing on it uh but the t-shirt the t-shirt was the <laughs> icebreaker on it because <laughs> you know how how uh, we like to do crazy marketing things and stuff like that so that 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 was what uh, got us going. So this was Vector, right? Yeah, Vector. So, uh, you, what's your Vector? Vector? Did you say what's your Vector? <laughs> no, I didn't even think about clear, it. Clear. <laughs> my, it was my <laughs> chance. I know it was like a softball for a home run, and you didn't take it. You didn't even <laughs> Man, I should I should be his T-shirt next year. <laughs> exactly. What's your Vector, Vector? <laughs> if he, I, he'll probably listen to this, and <laughs> he's got a lead on his T-shirt for next year. I was just so happy to see it. So, yeah, so so they're working on RFI, um, and and I think they're somehow working with you guys. But um, they do have a really nice, elegant R, uh, RFI solution. It's up and working, and uh, just some really cool. It's tech a behind smaller. It. I think it's a smaller one. It's very small good form factor. Back, good for MDUs, and I think it might even come kind of like remember the no, the nodes amplifiers were made at C core that were meant for the European market. Everything's underground, so all the cables came up underneath. Yeah, yeah. There's so they've got like a couple different form factors. They can fit into existing uh, nodes, existing fiber nodes. Cabinets. So if you're just trying to do an upgrade, you want to go to vectortechnologies.com and okay. talk to these guys. Great company, great group of guys that are working there, and they've got some cool T-shirts too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's basically. Um, I, I mean, there there was. I could I could do this for hours. There were so many cool technologies and cool companies that I saw this year. Uh, I think what well, the, the stuff that's going to be happening in the cable industry in the next couple of years, just kind of like what you saw, just companies that are innovate, innovating to do stuff on top of Doxis, like the GX company that I talked about. Mm-hmm. 
there's stuff like that happening with startups. Doxus 3.1 is just going full blast. We've got RFI going full blast. Comp- startup companies that are doing it, as, as well as just you know the uh, super stable that's, companies that's like a, you guys that's are doing. That's the beauty of being an open standard, right? Yes. If it's an open yes. standard, then pretty much anyone could build a node in the RPD, the RFI device. Yeah. So uh, the, the exciting thing is, is I, I hear people saying, you know, on on one hand, ah, oh, Doxus 3.1, it's not going anywhere blah, blah, cable's dead, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to a show like this and you just see how many, not just existing companies, but startups that are getting funding, that are investing in in this technology. It just tells you, Doxus has has at least a couple more years on it. (laughs) You know, that's that's what gets you really excited about it. Did you happen to see a demo or anything of FDX? I saw a demo of FDX at the Cisco booth. That was, yeah, so that was the place where we saw the FDX demo. I have to tell you, there there may have been others at at the show. It is it, it's amazing that you can spend three full days at a show and still not have enough time to go to every single booth. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, and 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 you're exhausted at the end of the show, and you still feel bad because this is like I know I told probably three or four other people. It's like oh, I'll be by tomorrow. I'll be by tomorrow. And I still didn't get enough time. And so anyone who I didn't get to see you at Anga, I am so sorry. I really tried, but we were really totally busy the whole show. Please, yeah. please ping us. Well, maybe we'll see you at Expo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the uh, FDX, you probably appreciate this, you know, us both working at Cisco, or I mean, C-Core. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Remember the 550 feed forward technology? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, basically feed the signal, backtrack, and then run the Cancel signal. Cancel out, out distortions, yeah. yeah. That's sort of where FTX is coming from, right? I mean, it's a it's an echo cancellation. What's old is uh, new so again. That, yeah, I mean, you're just running upstream, downstream frequencies at the same, same piece of cable, uh, and you have amplification and stuff like that, but you can run echo cancellation, so the signal kind of sees its own signal, deletes it so it doesn't interfere with the other signal. I mean, FDX has some promise. I think for us to run upstream signals at such high frequencies, like 500, 600 megahertz, uh, upstream power level issues is always a problem with me. Uh, but I think by that time, it's node plus zero. It could be remote phi node plus zero. Could be remote phi tap, meaning the tap is a node. Meaning your service group is eight people now, right? Yeah. So now the technology is so small. Basically, where you have taps, it's fiber to that point. Maybe it's DWDM because you don't have as much fiber, but you just do run different wavelengths. Um, but you only have eight customers. So the only coax now, like I said, is that last 100 meters. Yeah, yeah. No coax except that. So even if I do upstream at 500 megahertz, there's only 100 meters of coax. Granted, it's small, uh, but because the remote phi is right there, I also don't have to hit that device with plus 17 like I do on amplifiers. When you do reverse balancing on amplifiers, normally you want to hit it plus 17. Well, the remote phi, you might only have to hit it at zero because it's the CMTS right there on the pole. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. So if I look at the numbers, I might be able to come out at 40 dBmV and still go through all that loss of 500 megahertz and still hit it zero. No problem at all. You know, you understand? Yep. You run the numbers. It makes a lot more sense. We're trying to get fiber deeper, but fiber to the home is still economically crazy. Uh, it's a big expense, uh, even just for that last hundred meters. So I can see remote fly getting as deep as, you know, to the tap, if you will. Yep. And then having a fly there, better MER. People say, wow, could you I do 16K qualm for Doxus 3.1? I said, 
I would never discount it. Yeah, well, you know, once you get so close, crazy. it becomes, it yeah. becomes really possible. I mean, we're doing uh, 40, uh, 96 and 96, yeah. easily. At, and, yes. and that was something that I think when we started talking about Toxis 3.1, people thought we were nuts talking about 4096 Qualm. Um, I agree. Back to full FDX, though. You know, we're throwing out FDX and people probably, there's probably some people out there saying, what are they talking about? FDX? <laughs> yeah. So FDX, full duplex Doxis. First of all, the spec for full duplex Doxis is still under development, but there are people already doing demos of full duplex Doxis with hardware. So uh, it's crazy. The spec's not defined. It, it's kind of like very different than Doxis 3.1, where <laughs> the spec's not yeah. defined, but we already have hardware out there. So I, I'm really interested in what's going to happen with full duplex Doxis because it is a little bit different than Doxis 3.1, where we did the spec and then we waited a very long time before hardware was developed. Whereas this time, we're actually seeing demos of full duplex Doxis before the spec is even completed. So I guess this, I would ask you this question, John, what, what do you think is happening with full duplex Doxis from the standpoint of the hardware coming before the spec? Well, let's, let's take a step back and say, why is it even being developed? What is the problem it's solving? And that's upstream speed. You know, our upstream is very limited. Even if we do Doxis 3.1 split of 204, 254, that gives me maybe two 96 megahertz OFDMA blocks. Even if I could do 1K qualm with those, maybe I get close to a gig, but that one gig, you shouldn't offer more than say 500 megabits per second. So how do I get to one gig service? Or even, maybe even I, 10 gig like GX yeah, is offering. Exactly. How do I get to 10 gig on the upstream? You know, eventually get to 10 gig. Uh, and that's why FDX is being created and being implemented or in, in, investigated, uh, developed, uh, because we know the spectrum has to be a lot more. Uh, once we go remote phi, no amplifiers, there's no diflex photos, there's no amplifiers, but the modem itself has a, a diflex photo in it. So that modem has to change. It has to have this echo cancellation in it. And what happens if I transmit and you're my neighbor and we're doing the same exact frequency, your downstream is my upstream frequency. How is that going to be full duplex? This is called full duplex doxis. How is that going to be full duplex? Well, in a certain area, it'll probably be half duplex. But when I get out of that area and I come together at other points, it might be called a cluster or a half duplex clusters, then it's full duplex. But even if I'm 10 gig half duplex, that's still five gig up and down. You know, even if it's 10 gig down, but I'm not doing upstream at the same time, it's still 10 gig down. Um, so, I mean, there's a there's a lot of capability this with this full duplex. Um, and the, the, the problem is trying to solve is upstream speed. How do yeah. I get to that one, five, 10 gig on the upstream? And I think the question that everyone asks, well, not everybody asks, but I've seen ask in many forums that I've been in is, well, you know, you get to that node plus zero, why not just pull fiber the rest of the way? And then you have, Lots of speed, right? So, so why not pull fiber the rest of the way, John? <laughs> money that always comes out of the bean counters. Yeah, that's exactly always right. money. I, don't I mean, if money was an issue, we would run fiber, you know, right to your eyeball. Yeah, but I, I don't think people understand that. I mean, pulling fiber, there's a cost pulling fiber. That then that cost to run a fiber drop to the home that actually becomes the the biggest cost. So I've done some analysis on this. The cost, like the cheapest that you can do to run a, a fiber drop to the home is $500. So that, that's Oof. like what AT&T has got it down to, or 
And and yeah. so and and if someone says no, we have actually there's a lower number than five hundred dollars. Please please uh, send it post it on on our YouTube channel or or you know tweet us or whatever. So you're, so you're basically putting a note at the house, so you have a NID or yeah. an NIU. So that that's you have to run the are, fiber. Those are more expensive than cable. They're more expensive than cable modems. That NID it's more expensive <laughs> than thirty five dollars. Of course. There's so the number I've been told is five hundred dollars. That's and that's using mechanical connectors, not fusion splicing or anything like that. Five hundred dollars mm-hmm. running fiber into the house. So you add that up. Every subscriber yeah. that you're running fiber to is going to be five hundred dollars. Five hundred plus five hundred plus five hundred plus five hundred per subscriber. But if you already have coax running into the home and a cable modem, you don't have to pay that. So I think yeah. that's that's really what operators sub- struggle with when they're thinking when they start adding up the cost of running fiber. That yeah. if there was another solution like FDX that is a better solution ultimately even back in the day i thought well what if we did fiber to say the tap and then we do wireless hotspot but wireless is open spectrum and if we do 2.4 or 5 gigahertz how do you know you're not going to interfere with each other anyway because everything that's wireless nowadays you know so now we're just changing we're trading one problem for another and I've got, I've actually got really, really good Wi-Fi coverage. I've got a mesh network in my house just with Wi-Fi. And even still, I can't do this podcast in my house using Wi-Fi. I, I go to a hardwired connection to my, my computer because I know I will have, I will not have a good connection just with Wi-Fi in my house. I don't want to have to rely on a wireless connection from yeah. a tap and, and, to my house. And, that, and then people concerned about uh, security. Yes. That's why cable <laughs> still has a few more years in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we are at the top of the hour. We've wasted another hour on Doxis and cable and all these things we like. So, John, thank you for your time. No problem. You're welcome. We will, uh, I guess we'll see we, you in we that. It was probably see you in another month, and hopefully, we can get another guest. We have some. We do have some guests that are interested in hanging out with us and talking about cable. Uh, so we get maybe we can get one of these other vendors on that want to talk about their technology, and we can see what they have to say. Do we, do we have to uh, uh, prep them first for our humor? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've warned them. I've warned them about our humor. <laughs> None of this is scripted, so believe me. It's completely informal, unscripted, and what we say can can and will be used against you because it's recorded. Yeah. (laughs) All right, John. Thanks. So long. We'll see you in a month. Take care. Take care.